0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School.
1: This is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Launchpad here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Rob Conybeare, a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, an early stage venture capital firm where we focus on investing in early stage companies. So today, in one of our kind of our pandemic specials, um, I'm thrilled to be joined today remotely via Zoom by Bob Wheeler. He is the president and CEO at Airstream, and Airstream is one of those iconic. American brands, and I think really uniquely American brand that has gone global uh, in a lot of ways like Tesla that's come after it. And I'm particularly interested in it because at the outset of the pandemic, on impulse, I bought an Airstream Bambi that I've been using as a, a cabin out on Orcas Island as kind of an adjunct for visitors and family and friends and that sort of thing. And Bob is running this really iconic brand. As I mentioned, he comes from a family of English majors. He became a mechanical engineer. Bob, thanks for joining me today on the show.
0: Hey, Rob, thanks for having me. Uh, and uh, I like the detail about all my English major siblings. So I hope they'll get to see this.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure this combination is really interesting. Uh, mechanical engineering background and the English background because the Airstream brand uh, is really such an iconic American brand, and it's something that's so tightly tied to this aluminum-bodied product that we see mm-hmm. around the roads, we see in camping areas. People love them. As I understand, it, something like 70% of all Airstreams are still on the road and um, takes something like 330 man-hours to make an Airstream versus 80 for a typical RV. So there's a lot of quality, as I understand it, that goes into it. Yep. And what, what what I'm interested in is when you look historically at Airstream, you had this iconic founder, and you had uh, really the the birth of the whole American RV um, movement. And then I think in the '70s or early '80s, Airstream had kind of a, a near death experience, and then was acquired from Beatrice Foods, and um, then became part of Thor, which went public and has acquired a number of other brands. Yep. And what what I'm what I'm curious about is what goes into taking kind of this iconic brand and continuing to move it forward so what do you actually do to to help move it forward
0: it's funny you put it that way when i first started at airstream i was the vice president vice president of product development and my friends would ask me product Development, what do you do the thing doesn't change right (laughs) so it's this really interesting situation with our brand that you that you know we've got this uh, silver bullet trailer the shell is the brand is the icon so we know better than to mess with that and it really luckily it's it's a uh, form follows function it's beautifully designed for what it does there's really no need to change it structurally they last forever 2.70 percent of the trailers ever made still on the road it's probably higher than that but they, they just don't die so but what do you do with that how do you bring it into the modern age and make it relevant and um meaningful for for buyers today so well there's a number of things luckily there, there are some cultural shifts that have helped bring airstream back into the limelight this desire to return to brands that have authenticity they've got a history and they've they've got a foundation and even the materials we use it's aluminum and hand riveted solid rivets and all of this really speaks to consumers that the whole rest of their lives are filled with products that are just you buy them and you dispose of them they just don't, they're not part of your life and lifestyle for that long. So we stepped into this cultural movement where there's this need and demand for these, these authentic products, we fill that bill. And then it really, for us, it's interior design. How do we create the interiors in a range of uh, designs that are relevant to a broad range of customers? There's no iconic Airstream interior, so we can really flex our design muscle on the inside. And we've got very modern sleek interiors and we've got very upscale residential interiors and kind of you know, several spots in between so certainly relevant design um, and then packing in all the technology that today's consumers expect we've got a fully smart and connected line of trailers cloud enabled connectivity app control and then a great connected connectivity package that we can put in any trailer that allows you to get great wi-fi and, and travel and and in many cases now do your job on the road so design uh distribution you know get the product out to where people are proximity matters and we had a really weak distribution system so people being able to see it somewhere relatively close to where they live and then marketing which for us is less about we're we're not selling an airstream we're selling a conduit to an experience it's an enabler for your adventure and for many people They're so they're nervous about this idea of life on the road and they see the airstream and it just flips that switch. It's like I can do that. It gives them the courage to take that leap and and get out and have an adventure and meet new people and really change their life. So, you know, marketing, distribution, and product.
1: Well, one one of the things it it sounds like you you lead with product. It's it's a a product first experience and are you really driving word of mouth? Like when you think about your your acquisition channels, do you think about first time users that have maybe never heard of it? Or do you think of it as, we know there's going to be a funnel, people have heard of the brand and then we want to convert them. So how do you think about that? Like acquiring a, a customer for the first time, what's the key channel for you?
0: Yeah, so to your point, a lot of our buyers have known about Airstream or one of those brands it gets talked about with mustang and you know levi's for kind of we're 90 years old this year so we've been around a long time but it's making that shift for people to understand that this story brand really is relevant for their lifestyle so how do you connect with a millennial or even a gen z buyer in a way that makes them think that this kind of authentic classic iconic product can really enable them to have great adventures and and change their lifestyle so we do that you know a lot of social media digital marketing but it's really, it's less around selling. We don't really like selling. We like telling stories and we do a lot of really high quality content creation. Luckily, yeah, there you go. Airstream Life. Yeah. And that's not even, that's an independent publication and they do a fantastic job in, in telling the lifestyle, the story. So we're lucky to have a product that naturally generates fantastic stories and fantastic content. I Molly Hansen, our CMO, I give her a hard time. I said, you could be Selling dishwashers, where no one's going to be sending in their Instagram photos of their, you know, their newly installed dishwasher. We just we get so much great content. Some of it we harvest, some of it we curate. Um, but we're lucky to be in a position where we can really help people. So, so it's a lot grow. of
1: storytelling, a lot yeah. of storytelling that you want to do. Well, one one thing I wanted to ask very specifically is, do you track Net Promoter Score? Yeah, we do. And is that something that you can share, what, sure. what you have and what where you feel that you've done well and then where you feel like you have an opportunity to improve?
0: Yeah, I think at last count, our net promoter score was in the high 60s, which, um, you know, we're not quite... Well, that's in, very
1: strong. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and that we're very proud of and something we focus on on maintaining very carefully. Obviously, that's the that's a great measure because it cuts across all industries and you can compare yourself to Apple and the other kind of great brand experiences.
1: Yeah, one one of the things that I I've I've had with the product is I've I've loved it as I mentioned I got one at the outset of the pandemic and when people come to visit us out on Orcas Island, they love staying in it. It's it's really an adventure. The one area that I that I wonder about is the the out-of-the-box experience, and part of it's because we had a strange experience because it was during the pandemic, and it was delivered by somebody who was wearing a mask, and then, you know, we basically got a stack of manuals, Mm -hmm. is there must have been probably 20, maybe I'm exaggerating, 30 different manuals that it came with, and it's integrated. And I was curious if going forward, if that's just the nature of the RV business, or if that's an area where you would improve it. Because when I buy, say, a Tesla, I buy an iPhone, yes, I have apps on it, but I have an experience that's pretty intuitive. Mm -hmm. And when we were trying to figure out, like, well, you know, is the propane flowing, and are we putting this in the right way? Is it just the nature of the beast in RVing, or is that an area um, that you see that you could could innovate or improve in?
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. It's a huge opportunity, and it doesn't have to be that way. And you know, your delivery experience during the pandemic made it worse but quite frankly we've shifted our entire strategic we've cleaned our strategic slate and we've, we're fo- focusing on two things one is in- increasing our output because they were well behind market demand but the second thing is making that early owner experience so good that they fall in love with the lifestyle and stick around for life and it's exactly what you talked about how do we deliver information to people to help them overcome those moments of uncertainty right there when they need it in an easy to digest format and in a very timely fashion. And it's more than just a phone number to call, We're looking at things like a QR code sticker next to your propane tank, and you hit it and it pops up a video and shows you how to tell if the propane's flowing and if the valves turn the right way. Really kind of simple, intuitive things that put that information at your fingertips. That'll help a bunch.
1: So when you're doing that sort of thing and and actually it sounds really interesting you have codes you have ways that you can recognize around the trailer Mm -hmm. have you been hiring people to be able to build out the content that you want so that it's not just user generated content but you know that for like a new version of the heater or something that was changed et cetera, it's easy for people to see what to do in their app or on their phone
0: yeah we have uh we've taken that responsibility on ourselves our our user generated content tends to be more pretty pictures but the nuts and bolts stuff, we've been making videos left and right, posting them online, giving, putting them into channels that get them into users' hands when they need them. The QR code thing is in development; that'll be the next step. And then ultimately, we'd like a, you know, voice-activated, "Hey Airstream, show me the video on my uh, water heater," and the thing pops up, uh, you know, with an Amazon-enabled, Alexa-enabled uh, functionality. So. It's incremental, but to your point, the experience could and should be better.
1: So for a typical buyer, do they typically own one Airstream or do they tend to be repeat purchasers? Do they upgrade? You know, When you think about say the lifetime value of a new customer that comes in, what do you expect to happen?
0: Well, we call it a two-foot-itis. So it's it's two feet every two years. That tends to be the cycle. Oh, two feet longer? Two feet longer every two years. Okay. um, you know, you're, you're going to be our prototype because people come in and they buy a Bambi, which is a great way to get into the brand and fits your lifestyle. But then as they get used to it, want to travel more, maybe have a kid or two, you know, they start to get, they're in love with the lifestyle. They don't want to give it up. So they come in and trade to bigger and bigger and their confidence to tow a bigger trailers there once they've had a little time. So, you know, the lifetime value, you know, we know Airstreamers that have owned 15, 16. Holy cow. Decades. Yeah, no kidding. Okay. You know, more typically, it's maybe three or four over a span of twenty years.
1: So that's quite a bit, actually. And do you think about how to facilitate the sale of a trailer so that it makes it easier for people to move into another one?
0: Yeah, I mean, our dealers, um, our dealers often joke, "Can't you make us a few good used ones?" Because used airstreams, they have a dealers have a waiting list typically. People looking for used units. So when somebody brings one in for a trade, or they're thinking about upgrading they can give them a fantastic offer on that used product because they know they've got it sold almost instantly to somebody on the list. So it really, for people that are thinking about trading up, they can get fantastic money out of their used unit and the dealer wins, they win. It really works well. And a lot of Airstreams get sold in the private market as well.
1: So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Connivere and you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. And I am joined today via Zoom by Bob wheeler the CEO of Airstream. So a uh, few months ago, uh, Jeff Cavins, who is the CEO of Outdoorsy, joined me on the show. And it, have you met Jeff or have you talked to Jeff before?
0: I don't know, Jeff. I know a lot about Outdoorsy itself. Sure. Yeah, so, so
1: Outdoorsy is, for people that aren't familiar with it, it's basically uh, a marketplace where people can resell or actually rent out their RV when they're not using it. And Jeff, when he got outdoors, he started, was actually an Airstream fanatic. He bought, uh, I forget which one it was, I think it was a flying cloud, which I believe is your most popular model, and drove it all over the country to basically talk to tons and tons and tons of people that are RVers. What do you think is the impact of kind of peer-to-peer rentals of trailers? What do you think that does to the market overall? And what's the impact for Airstream?
0: No, that, that's a great question. You would think it might take away from the retail activity because if you can rent it, you don't have to buy it. What we've found, and I think Outdoorsy would back this up, is a different customer. It's not somebody that's going to be an owner. Uh, they're not interested in that long-term commitment to the lifestyle. They want to take a vacation. So they're serving that customer. Um, we're serving people that want to own a home on wheels. And the idea of somebody else staying in it and you know sleeping in the bed, it seems a little weird. So... We found that the two markets have kind of diverged.
1: Yeah, it's we're we're early investors in a company called Turo, which is the world's largest peer-to-peer car rental marketplace. Yeah, right, sure. And what we found with Turo in particular is it allows people to like if it's individuals that are buying them, they can actually afford something more expensive than they would have otherwise. And it's right. also they find that Tesla is, for example, I think another brand that that you you would you would probably admire. Uh, has have actually done really well on the platform because people are interested in trying them out and seeing what they're what yeah, they're like.
0: Right, sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think, I don't know, there's something less personal about a car though, right? You know, you know there's a kitchen and bedroom and bathroom, and it's, it's like, you know- Oh, that's true. Boat,
1: that's where you know. slept, right, right? Right, yeah. So yeah.
0: for people that they buy this Airstream and they give them names, they're like kids and they have, you know, stories and pictures and, I think for a lot of our owners, they're so attached to their airstream. The idea of, of renting it out to somebody seems a little, a little strange. But I, ended, you know, it's it's obviously works well in the car market, and for brands like Tesla that are aspirational and a little different, it, it seems to really fit. Well,
1: well, talking about brands, what are uh, what's maybe your favorite brand that's not obvious? So, I mean, we're we're all familiar with Tesla, and we're all familiar with Apple. We're we're kind of You know, everybody I'm sure listening has, hears about these brands all the time, but is there a brand, uh, whether it's around a hobby or something that you look at that you find really inspirational?
0: Um, Let's see, that's a good question. Um, Well, I ride, uh, you know, I ride my road bike and I've kind of fallen down that rabbit hole, tried to extract myself from, uh, you know, getting a nicer and nicer bikes. I've got a bike called a Boardman. Uh, just well-made, well-marketed, kind of a niche niche brand. You don't see it every time when you go out riding with a bunch of guys. Um, you know, I respect what they've done as a company. It's probably not well-known to your listeners, but uh, but, but there's a, actually there's a lot of bike brands like that. enthusiasm. Yeah, it's that, interesting. There are definitely
1: a lot of niche brands that are out there that range from ones that are maybe a bit larger, like Seven, down to Steelman or all all sorts of things. Yeah, what, what's the yeah. frame made out of?
0: Uh, it's curiosity. A yeah,
1: it is carbon fiber. Okay, so you're using exotic new materials.
0: <laughs> it's from Airstream's terms. Yeah, that's uh, it. Seems pretty out there.
1: Yeah. So, so going back to what we had, I had mentioned at the outset, Airstream is part of Thor Industries, I believe, a publicly traded company that has about a six point five billion dollar market cap, and in 2020 did roughly eight billion dollars in revenue. And Thor has a number of brands. And in my sense from looking at the brands is Airstream is clearly a halo brand for the organization overall. What's it like and does it have any day-to-day implications for kind of how you run the company? Do you get operational advantages? You know, what, what are maybe the drawbacks at times? What's it like being a, a division of Thor?
0: You know, really Rob, it's it's the best of all things. And I'm not just sucking up to my job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay.
0: okay, Thor Industries is a you know, they holding company of a bunch of subsidiaries. So, you know, Thor was founded with Airstream; they were founded to buy Airstream back in 1980. So, were their longest-held property. And uh, yes, their halo brand, uh, the premium brand in the lineup. But Thor is um, the core of their DNA is decentralization. They want the companies that they own to be able to make decisions based on market information, bottom-up decision-making, quick to respond, don't have to go back to the mothership to get everything approved and decided. So I think total Thor employment count at Thor Industries Corporate is 60, 65 people. And for a company with 8 billion and over 10 billion, if you look at their foreign um, subsidiaries, that's, that's pretty good. So I've got the best job. I get to run this company with Make my own calls. I don't have a board of directors. You know, Thor keeps an eye on things. I get my report card every month when the financials come out, and uh, they're very. They put a lot of faith and confidence in their presidents, and really, I couldn't ask for a better situation.
1: Do Do you get together with the CEOs or with the teams from the other companies to share best practices? So, like, do you have retreats uh, once or twice a year, or how do you how do you learn from each other if you do that within
0: Thor? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that. Thor, because they're they're an acquisitions company, they're hiring companies that were competing head to head and you know duking it out in the marketplace in every retail market in the U.S. So now all of a sudden you're supposed to be, you know, brother and sister in this under this umbrella. So for a lot of years there was a lot of this kind of infighting and not much cooperation between these, these four companies, but under the current leadership they've really started to bring the companies together to do exactly that, share best practices. What can we optimize without getting in your way? You know, How can we leverage our purchasing power to get better pricing and better supply in a way that helps you and doesn't trample on your independence? They never get into the product. They're like, that's where the magic differences are. But we do get together as presidents once a month, now on Zoom. And uh, it's, it's informational, we talk about things that affect the industry and affect the companies. The best practices sharing happens at other levels, and that's really in development. That's starting really to kick in with Thor, and it's uh, it's going to add a whole new layer of value for, for Thor and its investors.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I could imagine that it can be pretty interesting. And do you have swim lanes to a certain extent? So I'm guessing that Airstream is really a premium brand If one of the other RV manufacturers started to make headway into that market, how how would that would it resolve itself just in the marketplace, or how is that handled?
0: Yeah, Thor does not have a product rationalization scheme, so if somebody else wanted to start making aluminum trailers, uh, they'd be welcome to do it and and compete on their own two legs. But who would make a round travel trailer, Rob? It's crazy.
1: Yeah, no, I I understand. Well, plus there's also I'm sure there are a lot of uh, trade secrets and intellectual property that you've built up over time that whether it's somebody within Thor or outside of Thor, it wouldn't be rational for them to do it, to, to just copy your strategy, because what ends up happening is people are like, well, how's it different than Airstream? Right. But I could see where things are the same Is you know, you've you've talked in interviews before about boondocking features. So this idea of going off the grid with your trailer where you're not going into an RV park or an RV hookup. And you have things like solar and larger battery panels and gray water recycling. And I've got to believe you're experimenting with SpaceX Starlink and stuff like that, so that people can get high-speed internet wherever mm-hmm. they are. Uh, is that the type of thing that you would share between Thor companies? Like how to, you know, what's what are the best practices or who are the best vendors that you would consider partnering with?
0: Yeah, t- typically how it works is in that kind of a situation. If we've done the legwork and gotten with a partner and worked out a deal and gotten the equipment just right for the RV application, but we knew that Thor would want it or some other Thor companies, we would ask for a year of exclusivity or at least six months where we can go to market, get the PR splash, get the early sales and acknowledgement for the brand, and then it would be made available to the rest of the Thor companies. So that's kind of the best of both things.
1: That must make for some interesting discussions, though, because, like anything else, you're deciding: well, is it three months? Is it six months? Is it twelve mm-hmm. months? Especially if it's something that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 fascinating. I've got to believe being part of an organization like that. And when I look at Thor, I see that it's it looks like it's a lot of midwestern. Maybe there's manufacturing facilities in in Oregon as well. Mm-hmm. How much of an international component is there to Thor, or is it primarily an American company?
0: Well, it was, you know, except for Canadian sales, which you might consider American, it was 99.9% until they bought two 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 and a half years ago, their biggest counterpart in the world. So now Thor is a truly a global multinational company with an enormous subsidiary in Europe that sells in you know, name a country in Europe they don't sell in, including some in Asia as well. So uh, how how big of an
1: acquisition was that? Was that like a multi-billion dollar acquisition? Yeah, I think it was Uh,
0: 2.2 billion, I think, or 2.3. Okay. Something in that range. Yeah, that was a a big deal. Biggest acquisition Thor had ever made by, you know, 10X.
1: Yeah. Well, I've kind of believed there's a lot of learnings that can be shared. Uh, between the continents as well. I'm sure there's different consumer practices for kind of how people approach it, et cetera, but a lot of leverage you could get operationally doing that.
0: That's already happening. So what what typifies the European design and execution versus US, uh, they must be lighter weight, because if you think about the tow vehicles, so they use a lot of lighter weight materials, much more automated processes, and um, much more repeatability as a result. Um, they tend to be more expensive pound for pound, at least the, the travel trailers, the towable side. Um, a lot of engineering excellence, a lot of tool components, a lot of de- dedication to technology, not just in their manufacturing processes, but in the products themselves. So to, to answer your question, there's a lot we've learned and there's several working groups now sharing best practices and technology across the pond and they're really going to yield some interesting things here in the US and hopefully in Europe. So when you look
1: at the market going forward, uh, just for recreational vehicles in general, where do you see most of the growth coming from over time? Is it more units, more people doing it? Is it uh, higher selling price because people just want to have higher quality um, RVs? Where do you see it coming from?
0: I think it's just organic growth in the market and having younger and younger buyers adopt a lifestyle earlier in their life stages. And you look at the values of the Millennials and the Gen Zs. Um, I, hate to, I hate to stereotype, you know, generations, but they're drawn to the outdoors. They recognize that time in the outdoors is a great antidote to this screen culture that the rest of their lives are dominated by. So we've seen some interesting trends that the cultural values of the generations are shifting to, to appreciate the outdoors and wanna spend more time there. And that's gonna feed right into the RV in, industry. Now We do have concerns about destinations right campgrounds being overfull, and you saw it during this pandemic. I mean, especially national parks and state campgrounds were slammed so we're looking at how the campground industry can develop to support this influx of customers that want a great experience they don't want to be packed into a little site you know, six feet from somebody's beer can pyramid.
1: Well, yeah, actually expanding on that, how does that happen? Is it just people need to build more campgrounds or is it something else that gets done to increase capacity?
0: Well, it's a couple of things, you know, working with the national park system to try try to convince them they need to add capacity. And they've, they've got an interesting dilemma, right? You add capacity, you got to cut down some trees. So... I get the push and pull there, but there's certainly more demand than, than they can supply. And then the, you know, the, the forces of supply and demand will create business opportunities that expand campgrounds and camping spaces. But the area we're really focusing on is, is boondocking. You touched on it earlier. There are these massive open areas that you can camp. If you can get there, you can camp there. And these are national forests, national wildlife areas, and there's just tremendous opportunity. If you have the understanding and the experience, you can have a fantastic camping experience and uh, steering people toward those opportunities, making them feel more comfortable going out into the wilderness is really opening up a whole new opportunity to to handle some of that overflow we're getting from from the commercial campground setting.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really interesting trend because with the product technologies that you've mentioned in the past, like having longer battery packs, right. more efficient, yeah. cheaper solar, and the gray water recycling, is you know it it allows you to have a much more comfortable experience uh, when you're traveling. Not to mention if there's a Starlink internet or a SpaceX internet to to actually be connected while you're out there, and if nothing else, to make sure you feel safe because you're connected with people at home.
0: Yeah, you just checked off about six things on our product development hot list, (laughs) frankly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, one last thing kind of just for 30 seconds. I'm just curious, how quickly do you think travel is going to come back? Obviously, travel in your segment, I think, has done really well, as you mentioned on the show, Mm -hmm. but just more generally travel and coming out of the pandemic, things coming back to normal. What's your prediction?
0: Yeah, I've been reading a lot about that, you know the cruise industry, how long before you feel comfortable getting on a cruise ship, an airplane, staying in a hotel. I don't know that I have a great sense of what that curve might look like other than to say, it's gonna be a number of years. And we know that the influx we've seen into the industry and at Airstream, even if half of those people stuck around for life, we've seen the step change in our customer base. It, It has been like nothing I've ever seen. And if we can keep as many of those people in the industry and the lifestyle and show them it's a great way to vacation with your family and recreate, this this industry has had a windfall that it could not create, I don't care how much marketing money is spent. So I don't know exactly what it's gonna look like. I just know we have this opportunity if we can capture it and not squander it to really change the game for the next 20 years.
1: Yeah, well, this is very exciting. I, I really appreciate your spending time with me during the pandemic on Zoom. And uh, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking to you again.
1: And people that want to follow, obviously, Airstream will have no problem finding Airstream on the internet, whether it's content, Airstream. Is
0: there any place people
1: can go to just follow up with you and just follow you on Twitter or elsewhere?
0: Yeah, I keep a pretty low uh, social media profile. You know, you can find me if you look, but don't expect a ton of posts. It's this is the running gun battle. of My CMO. We'll we'll, we'll see how. That works
1: <laughs> okay. Well, Bob. Thanks again. Thank you, Rob. I'm Rob Conybeare, and this is Launchpad Business Radio, SiriusXM One Thirty Two. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.